Killer remix drop. Medicine Here. remix, fam. Scary V. remix. Next big thing, get on it now. Appreciate that, brother. Make the most of today. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remixed. What up, Team Remix? This is KT, and I hope your 2019 is off to a productive start. If you haven't already had that pep talk with yourself about recalibrating for the new year, then I'm confident that today's installment of Documentaries will inspire you. I'm focused, man. If you're new to the show, Documentaries is an interview series exclusively here on Medicine Remixed, in which we talk to doctors across various specialties in medicine that share our energy and vibe with the remix culture that we're trying to create. In today's episode, I talked to Dr. Calvin Sun, who is a board-certified emergency medicine doctor, civil rights activist, dancer, and entrepreneur based out of New York. Calvin attended Columbia University for undergrad and then went on to study medicine at SUNY Downstate College of Medicine. Last year, he wrapped up his residency training at Jacoby Medical Center, where he also served as director of resident wellness. Over the course of medical school and residency, he traveled over 160 countries without skipping class or missing any shifts. Calvin is currently working locum's tenens as an emergency medicine doctor for some of the busiest ERs and trauma centers in the country. He's also the founder and CEO of The Monsoon Diaries, a blog-turned-travel company where he has personally taken hundreds of readers to a variety of countries, including places like North Korea, Chernobyl, and Antarctica. The Monsoon Diaries has been featured on National Geographic, USA Today, and Rachel Maddow. Oh God. I'm very excited to share this conversation that I had with Calvin, and I think you'll also appreciate his story and drive to just be the best version of himself. Call in to the show or hit us up on social media whenever. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. And without further ado, let's get to it. It's showtime. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. So no matter what you've been through, no matter what you into, no matter what you see, when you look outside your window, brown grass or green grass, pick it fence of barbed wire, never ever put them down. You just lift your arms higher, raise them till your arms tired, let them know you there, that you struggle and survive, and that you gon' persevere. Yeah, ain't nobody leaving, nobody going home, even if they turn the lights out, the show is going. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Yeah, this is Calvin. Hey, Calvin. It's KT. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. This is a good time to talk? Yep. Thanks so much for putting the time aside, first of all, for, for you know doing this. We really appreciate that. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to kind of start things off by um, hearing your, your come-up story. We'd like to kind of hear... 
that come up stories for doctors like yourself in the same way that you would read that first comic book edition of a superhero. But doctors being kind of like modern superheroes. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your origin story and then maybe we can unpackage some details from there. Sure. I mean, it all started out like when growing up, I had parents that wanted me to become a doctor, obviously as a stereotypical Asian American. Um, I was born and raised in New York City, so I was also exposed to a lot of things that were uh, always threatening to pop my bubble. Um, but generally speaking, everything mm. was pretty planned out for me the moment I was born. But then, uh, to make a long story short, uh, my father died from a sudden heart attack unexpectedly after we had gotten into an argument. Mm -hmm. And then my mom got Parkinson's a few months later. And uh, through all the tragedy and trauma that, you know, I went through that uh, summer of 2006, I uh, saw an opportunity as well to start living my own life um, on my own accord. And uh, whether or not that was a conscious decision at the time, I had no choice. In that space, I decided not to become a doctor and actually um, did everything that I always wanted to do um, that I couldn't. Um, and there were definitely things I already was doing um, behind my parents' back um, before all this happened. And I just pursued it okay. even further. And uh, we can go into those details later, but essentially for the next three to four years, um, my GPA plummeted. I didn't take uh, academics seriously, but I was happy. And I was living uh, the life that I've always wanted, uh, a life of freedom, making my own mistakes and planning it uh, for myself uh, and embracing the chaos that uh, was afforded to me. And there were so many ways that I could have approached um, this family tragedy. Um, but I chose the more positive route. And again, this is not something that was conscious. It was the only way I knew, uh, not only just to survive, but also learn to thrive, uh, in this new space right. given to me. And as a result, um, I ended up, uh, making a bet, uh, to myself and to another person that I ended up losing. Huh. And that bet was... Uh, are you sure you're not meant to be a doctor? Uh, and the bet was, no. you know what? Uh, if I'm not meant to be a doctor, I need, at least need to find out for myself and not as an act of rebellion against my father for the rest of my life, right? I didn't want to be influenced by my dad. Uh -huh. And by me, by my not pursuing medicine, I thought that was uh, the way of being free from his influence, but rather, there is the meta uh, approach where I realized, no, by refusing to become a doctor is actually still influenced by him. It's rebelling against the rest of my life when the actual higher right. truth mean, uh, could have been, I actually am meant to be a doctor. It's like kind of like that scene from um, The Princess Bride. In that case, I challenge you to a battle of wits. For the princess? To the death? I accept. Good, then pour the wine. Uh, they had like two cups. One of them was poisoned, poisoned the other one was fine. And then the, the main character uh -huh. and the, the villain were at his table and they were like trying to convince each other which one was the poison because they like switched it behind their backs. Um, and they were trying to do reverse psychology. It's kind of like that, where I was going back and forth. I was like, right. I become not, not. And the bet was to apply to as 
all the medical schools that I would uh, fancy going. And I would punch like 40 or 50, like some exorbitant number. And the bet was if I were to get it anywhere, I would go and pursue it. Uh, knowing at the time that I had very slim chance of getting in. Uh, my GPA wasn't great. It actually was great when my dad wasn't alive, but then after he died, it took a downward trend and it never picked up again. So it was going the opposite direction of what you want, you want your GPA to look like. And I graduated with a worse GPA than right. I started with. Um, and I you know, studied for the MCAS because that's what chips do to find med school. And I bombed that you know, exam. Um, and, you know, I'm an activist, so with a disclaimer, I support affirmative action. You know, if you, you understand why, watch Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act episode on that. Um, but, but Huge fan. Uh, that's a disclaimer. But as an Asian American, affirmative action uh, does not benefit me as the individual. It's great for us, mm -hmm. you know, as minorities, you're working with other minorities, intersectionality, yada, yada, yada. But with a bad GPA, applying as an Asian American to higher education, doesn't really work in the context of affirmative action. So, Your favorite. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah. I knew that going in and I was totally fine with that. And I, and I you know, didn't want to go into med school at the time because I wasn't sure. Um, but I applied because I was curious if I could do it. Um, and then if I were to not get it anywhere, I could check that box off and be done with it and be done with the dilemma, be done with the conversation. Like, you know, these schools have taken thousands and thousands of med students. They know better than I would whether I be, deserve to become a doctor. And then I lost the bet. I lost the bet October 2010, <laughs> I believe, 2009, uh, I found out and I was, I was like, shit, I have to go. <laughs> now you got to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the next part of the bet was if I were to go to med school, I would keep doing the things uh, that was extracurricular. I would not quit anything mm -hmm. and still do med school okay. and do the best I uh -huh. could in all aspects of my life because I'd rather maintain my who I was as a person. I'd rather stay a good person and fail out than to quit uh, uh, all the, anything that I um, define myself as, whether it was me, me as yeah. a bartender or me as a DJ or me as a dancer or me, you know, this is when I started to travel. Also, something that I, uh, another long story, um, but at the time I wouldn't quit on those things and then uh, do med school and I know, thinking that I would eventually fail out knowing that I was not never meant to be a doctor but I knew that I pushed myself to the limit to know that rather than quitting well anything of uh, aspects of myself that made me happy to pursue something that I wasn't sure about which was medicine at the time and then I kept going and then this whole long journey and you you know that I wrote about and we can go into specifics later but you know I almost failed out yeah I almost failed step one. I tried to do better step two. I got one point above passing. It was just a disaster. And when I applied to residency, nobody supported me except for a handful of um, people who really bet on uh, shooting for the moon. They bet on the queen of spades. You know, I was, uh, you know, tried to just, I just kept going. That was a part of the bet. And then, you know, uh, odds against my favor, I ended up uh, going all, going all in with you know, answers on the interview that didn't make any sense. Uh, it was a shot in the dark. Mm. And then uh, I got into residency and then even in residency, I got threatened to kick, get, uh, get kicked out a few times uh, and almost did in my third year residency. Um, but then uh, by the same token, I won the only award for third year residents and I essentially became one of the residency leadership in wellness.
looking back at the, the last eight to ten years of this journey, I realized that have I been really, really lucky this whole time? But then there's been a consistency. It's not like it was a one-time thing and a stroke of luck. Right. It's been a, a series of weekly to monthly, like these close calls. And every time I was like, man, I was lucky, man, I was lucky, no, man, I was lucky, I was lucky, I was lucky. And people would say that you're so lucky, but then looking back and I was like, for those consistency is always the same attitude. And was it really luck or can luck really be defined as opportunity plus preparation? And I just did my best. And again, we'll go into specifics later, but essentially that's my my journey yeah. of, I um, didn't know if I wanted to be a doctor and I did it based on a, losing the bet. You know, really, really believing that other people deserve to be in my place. But the more I mm-hmm. got into it with an open mind, without any expectations, right. I ended up loving it more than I ever expected. Uh-huh, honey. And it wasn't until two years ago I woke up one day and I was like, damn, I really love this. Like, this is what I meant to. All of this is, has led me to this point. This is what I meant. And this is what I meant to do. But this, I wouldn't have gotten to this point if it weren't for all the other things I was doing on the side, whether it was bartending or traveling or running a travel company that I started by accident, being a photographer and, you know, doing public speaking or doing social justice work, all that other stuff at the side I was doing that I was so passionate about all led me to this point um, without knowing that I was meant to be left there, right? But I had, because I had no expectations, because I went to it with an open mind, because I went to it, you know, believing I didn't really deserve this with this you know, this really sick sense of, you know, reverse humility and like, like, you know, I don't belong here. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the sick sense of imposter syndrome, right? That I don't belong here is actually right. what got me to really believe that I'm meant to do this. Um, as I'm giving this interview, I'm waiting to do my overnight shift in the middle of nowhere, Rome, New York, uh, and looking forward to, you know, after, to seeing what more you know, adventures I can have to, today. And just really like, so feeling so lucky to be here. I'm not burned out. Um, and I'm about to travel for another month after the gig here. Um, and just really feeling I struck a sense of balance. Now, had my dad not died, now had I not um, made that bet, had I actually quit all those things before starting medical mm-hmm. school, right? Then I would have had, probably still became a doctor. But right. looking back, I'd have been, man, my story would have sucked. I would have been, my story essentially would have been any of the last. 10 minutes I was what I was talking about. It was more like I quit everything and I buckled down and I studied really hard and I guess I'll start traveling when uh, I don't know when I make enough money after becoming a attending. But that's like the worst story ever. Like I don't want that. To, I mean not no no, no I'm sorry. Yeah. Not the, I, I'd like to speak of superlatives. It's a first world problem. Right right. Not exactly the worst story <laughs> but like compared to what I just talked about in the last 10 minutes I don't want that story. Yeah yeah. The, the story For sure. the story that I don't want is the one I just talked about. I have traveled to 160 countries in the last seven years during medical school and residency without skipping a day of class, without skipping a shift, without ever banging out, without ever calling in sick, without ever being absent, without spending mm-hmm. any money, really. You know, I took out loans, yeah. right? But part of the loans I used to travel because it was for my wellness. If I didn't travel, I would have burned out, right? And now I'm going to pay back right. those loans, but I'm okay because I'm working as locums and attendings, and I'll be, pay, be able to pay it back in two years at this rate, you know, as far as I see it, right? And by the time I didn't plan all this, right. this was not planned, right? This this origin story is all like, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
I just know that I have to live in the present. And I just want to close off, you know, a little briefly. It's like I told the story to a bunch of downstate students where I went to medical school, like um, yeah. about three weeks ago. And it was kind of really weird, like full circle, like here I'm back as an attending giving the story uh, at a school that I almost got kicked out of, right? In these first and second <laughs> years, you know, people that were sitting in the same place where I was sitting before, they were all like, yeah, like, you know, like really into my story because, you know, I was one of them. And one of them asked is like, so, you know, how is this not like follow your dreams, like cliche, stupid BS kind of story, you know, that we've heard a million times. Right. And I just wanted that. And I think that was really important. I want to really just just differentiate, this is not follow your dreams, okay? I, I want to really put an asterisk that this is not follow your dreams. I don't believe you should, quote, follow your dreams because you will be disappointed, right? I had no dreams. My quote unquote dream was just live in the present, be present, be aware of what is around you and just do your best in that present. I had no idea what I was gonna do the next day. I had no idea if I was gonna drop out or get kicked out the next day of med school. I didn't even know that I would ever become a doctor. I didn't know if I was gonna to go to travel in 160 countries. I was just, I need to do this today to make the best of today. And the next day I'll do the same attitude. You know, one day became a week and I was like, I wanna to go to this country because I have two days off, Saturday and Sunday, I have a weekend. Just like anyone else. And I did that. And then when I had these country, countries started adding up and I was like, I need to get back home to go to you know, back to medical school and I would do that. It was just the series of just living the moment that eventually added up to what we have right now, which is a story that I can tell right now to you and to everyone who's listening. The last 10 years, right. eight to 10 years have been nothing short of extraordinary. And this could be your story too. And I'm not the right. smartest person. And there are people who are listening who have way better step one and step two scores and better GPAs and who are smarter than I am and have bigger dreams than I do, have more, you know, who have less of an imposter syndrome than I do. This can be their story. I don't see myself as anyone that's remarkable rep, but rather somebody that just a dog chasing cars. You know, I just see what's in front of me and I make right. the most out of it. Sorry, that's a long yeah. answer to your story, but a lot of words. No, no, that's actually ideal. <laughs> no, that's actually ideal. You know, like the more we can get up front, you know, the, the better for the listeners. And I, I really believe that, you know, one of the first things you mentioned was this dichotomy that pre-meds see when they get in, into school, when they get into medical school. It's this, all right, well, I'm going to leave behind what I've, what I've been up to until now. Or maybe, maybe let you know, I, I know you mentioned you don't believe in the, you know, the phrase, follow your dreams kind of situation, but some pre-meds are thinking their dream is to go to medical school and then that is it until they figure out the, the rest of it there. But this dichotomy between either it's everything else or it's medical school, that's something that a lot of people deal with. And I think it's something that I also dealt with when I first got into school. And then to hold on to what you love, your passions, and then to not compromise that in the process of getting in and then going through medical school is something that I think, you know, gets more and more intoxicating as you succeed. And that doesn't mean succeeding by being at the top of your class, but by getting by, you know, it's kind of like the, the whole Rocky Balboa story, taking the punches and just, you know, continuing to, to move on and then, you know, succeeding in that route rather. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a positive feedback system that feeds itself, you know, that, you know, one success begets this motivation to look for the next success. Um, but yeah. I think that the, the art to this, just like medicine is an art, check yourself right. you know you always have to have a little bit of self-awareness you know at what point are you going too far are you becoming too cocky or you're you're getting too far ahead and you know though there were some moments during residency where you know i was getting carried away and i had to be you know 
held down, held back, and it's like, hey, look, just you know, you know, you're in danger of getting kicked out. Like, you know, you are running too, you know, fast, essentially. Um, and you know that those are necessary because you know if it was if it weren't for other people generally cared about me, you know, I needed to do that for myself uh, because I was still in training. I still had to take care of patients. I was still learning how to take care of patients. I was in no, you know, position to believe that. You know, I was, I knew everything because I was far from it. Even now, I don't know everything. But I think now as an attending, like part of me is to realize that I'm not going to be able to know everything, right? And there's the, the that's, right. but that's the same with what you said about um, having dreams. You know, it, you have expectations of you attaining a certain point. Then it's, that's like self-esteem. I, I'm a, as a wellness person, um, as the director of wellness back in my residency, um, I generally believe self-esteem is bullshit, right? Uh, self-esteem in the idea of dreams, the idea that you are this amazing, unique snowflake is bullshit, right? Because all <laughs> it does is that it will invariably disappoint you, like inevitably, inevitably let you down, Yeah. right? That you yeah. will be disappointed, that you will let yourself down because you'll never be as amazing as you imagine yourself to be because you know what dreams are? They're fantasies and fantasies are inherently flawless. You will. You don't. You don't dream and fantasize about. You know. By flaws. Yeah, a flawed yeah. life. You dream and fantasize about the right. perfect life. You know that our our brains are built to not. You know to to dream big. You know and to our build or we have imaginations and we don't have the ability to to you know, factor in like oh the what what could go wrong. I mean, I mean the opposite could be true. Like that there is also a. Uh, unhealthy opposite extreme of being super pessimistic right when you have like what could yeah. go totally wrong and not everything is totally bad and not everything's totally great right so but, but right. either opposite extreme of your your imaginations can be damaging i'm not saying don't hope for the best right don't have an idea of what you should be but by dreaming too hard by relying too much on a self-esteem by relying too much on what is possible you forget to look for, look in the present and you forget to see what opportunities are around you to actually capitalize on to make those dreams come true all right? right you should do you should have quote unquote dreams in the present like what can you get the the most out of this very present moment right because otherwise you right. you will not see the opportunities to actually get you to where you should be um and, and, right. and, and the same thing you can say with pessimism, you know, when things get you down, which things will always will, there always will be trauma in people's lives, there always will be letdowns. You're going to look down on the floor the whole time. If you look down on the floor the whole time, moping around and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not great, I'm not great, then you're not keeping your head up to actually see the opportunities around you to capitalize. This is what I mean by self-esteem. Right. Right. It, it just it just rocks you back and forth. You have this high grade idea of a dream in reality. So what happens is that you're looking too much in the future and not in the present. You miss opportunities. You are inevitably let down because you're not ever going to reach that self-esteem of, you know, how what you imagine yourself to be. And then, therefore, you're let down. So you, you come down really, really hard. And as a result, you're looking at the floor the whole time. And again, you miss those opportunities that, you know, when one door closes, another one opens and you're never going to get to that point. And it becomes this negative cycle where You'll never be, you know, satisfied. You'll never be happy. What I do believe right. in instead of self-esteem is self-forgiveness. Being, mm. being realistic, being honest right. with yourself or your limitations and being in loving yourself for those limitations, realizing that for every limitation is a positive thing as well. Right. And, and right. it's, it's a shift change. It's a shift change. And is it, if it, if it requires 
travel for me or it was a, tra- a traumatic event like the passing of my father after we argued like e- either one of those like allowed me to see like there's beauty in every disaster you know you can find beauty in every disaster yeah. you can find opportunity in every letdown there's a blessing in disguise right by forgiving yourself constantly by learning how to love yourself and forgive yourself constantly you are able to pick yourself back up faster to be more present right. much more quickly to be more efficient with your being present so that you can see opportunities as they come immediately and i do generally believe that the opportunities best present themselves after a your momentous setback right a, a, a moment of failure hmm. right whether they say right. failures or signposts to success or whatever you call it like there's no such thing as mistakes just lessons that's those quotes right. come from somewhere and i really do believe that you know if you pick yourself back up fast enough but also holistically right i don't want you to i don't i'm not also i'm not advocating to suppress your emotions you know i don't i don't mm-hmm. i don't believe in like repressing or suppressing um you know in, you know it's failures then move on like you really need to you know go through it and uh, unpackage it in a way that's healthy yeah and bear it and bear it yeah, yeah and then explore it but you have to do it especially enough so that when you go through it you're whole again much more faster much faster much more quickly and you can you know move on to the next thing yeah i i really you know also believe in the whole you know bearing responsibility and i think um a lot of people are trying to find meaning in life in this uh fantasy world you know that you also alluded to but it's that having a problem and being able to solve it that's almost better than never having a problem right and so your your opportunity to face these problems and then overcome them is way more gratifying than never having you know have had that problem to begin with right think about the things that you're um, most grateful for those are, those are the things that you worked your ass off for and you were stressed out about definitely. and then you overcame it definitely rather the things that the right. things that you're not grateful for are the things that came really easy to you that i don't know that subject that you really liked in school was not the one that you yeah. got straight A's by not studying. You don't remember those subjects. You're just like whatever. I mean, that was fine. Right. You like look back at it with fondly with a smile, but you don't cherish it. You don't right. you cherish the subject that you worked your oh god, it was so hard. You were freaking out and then you you worked your ass off and somehow you pulled off a miracle in your mind, but you really because you worked hard and now because it becomes ingrained in you. Those are the ones that you remember, the ones that the subject matter that sticks with you. You know, it's something like a mini trauma, right. you know, a stressful event. This is the idea of the human persona of the human spirit is overcoming difficulties not to live a life without scars. Yeah. It's the whole yin and yang, you know, the having you need order and chaos next to each other. And one one thing I always talk about with my friends, you know, especially is, you know, how mu- how music is. Mm-hmm. Um you don't like a song that's predictable that you've heard a million times over and over, and you also don't like a song that is way too unpredictable and in a genre that you don't really appreciate yet, at least in this part of your life. But you like the song that really does challenge you just enough, but then gives you that satisfactory bass drop or guitar solo that you you can appreciate and sounds familiar to you. And so I think you know, uh, you know, in a, in a parallel, life is very similar in that when right. you have these challenges and then you are rewarded with that bass drop or that guitar solo, whatever the parallel is, it feels much better than to never have had that challenge to begin with. And so you can keep listening to that song until you switch to the next one. Right. It's kind of like elevator music. You know, it's fine for a while, but people will go nuts. If they listen to le- right. elevator music, right? <laughs> elevator music is the most like, right. you know, sh- saturated, non-threatening kind of music, right? But if you listen to it too long right. enough, you will go nuts. You need a build-up. Yeah. You need, you know, the drop. You need a music that takes lurches you up and down. That's that yeah. music, being a human means that emotional response that is not afforded by things like elevator music. It's good to have a little bit. You know, right. you should have some rest every now and then. I have some elevator music moments in my life. 
but my life is not defined by that. My life is defined by the drops, you know, the the, the build up and the drops. Uh-huh. You know, so you also you said you don't really you know believe in the whole follow your dreams. What what would you say your dreams were at that time? I know you mentioned you know the, the, that bet you made, and then you know you having you chose or you didn't choose, but more medical school almost chose you. You applied, got in. You're like, all right, here it goes. At that time, you know, if you did you believe in the whole follow your dreams is bullshit then too or did you did you have a dream that you were at the time was perfect for you i really i think i had a develop i think my dad died and my mom got parkinson's and then i guess like at my dad's funeral my girlfriend at the time broke up with me she was oh, like, wow. this is too much for me to handle and then i found out other stuff happened and it was like a summer of like it happened also happened to be one of the best summers of my life yeah <laughs> ironically but i think after like multiple series of traumas you know, and also me and my father did not have a really good relationship. It was pretty traumatic as well. Uh-huh. Uh, very physically, you know, there's a contentious and all that. You can imagine how bad it got sometimes. Right. Um, but at the same time, it was also conflicted, which he also did provide a lot. And, you know, it's conflicting. So, like, after a series of traumas, and I'm not, by no means, I'm saying, like, oh, my life is the worst. I mean, I'm very lucky and privileged as well to have right. parents that, you know, at least gave me a roof over my head and shelter and, you know, cared about my education. Um, but I didn't have the emotional, you know, support system that I, you know, yearned from a parental figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at that summer when this, I was lurched back and forth, I decided, like, you know, like, it's, there's no point in looking towards a future because the future is never guaranteed. After something like you have an argument and then he drops dead on the treadmill from a heart attack, then your mom gets Parkinson's and then you uh, like, you know, then your girlfriend breaks at the desk, you know, and things like that. It's like, uh, like, what's the point of having dreams? That, because shit like this is going to happen in life. Yeah. You know, who knows whether tomorrow another dramatic thing has happened. What I can afford is the dream of will I make the most out of today? Yeah. Right. Is it is today going to be the best day I can ever make it? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is very cliche. Live like today is the last day of your life. Like if there's no tomorrow. But it kind of like when you actually live and have an emotional response to actually lived experiences, hmm. you know, you you stop having those like like far flung dreams that uh, I mean, you can call that cynical. But I was being realistic. Um, I think before all that happened, my dream was just to you know do what everyone else is doing, right? You know, get married, have kids, have a family, right. have a great job, pay well, and then like leave a mark on the world and then leave a legacy. But I realize now, looking back, that is such crap. It is an arbitrarily made uh, Disney fantasy designed by society to keep a population listen to elevator music for the rest of your life. I know plenty of people who actually pursue that and do those things. And you can call this anecdotal, but they are unhappy. They are, they somehow checked off all the boxes and they are unhappy. And the, the, the sucky part is they don't know why. This lack of self awareness. And I, and, and, and what's worse is I don't, I barely, so some of them I barely know, but I can see within five seconds, I know why. And maybe it's like the ER doctor in me is that like, I have this, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I've developed a training of just like looking at someone and saying, are you sick? Are you not sick? Are you happy? Not happy? Things like that. Yeah. But like, you know, it's just, I, I, I have to look at it. I just know they're not happy because they had these expectations, right? They had all these dreams, but these yeah. dreams came from other people. And right. 
What happened was, as a result, they pursued those boxes and they they made all these sacrifices to get uh, what they wanted. And now they're there, they're not happy because those dreams and expectations they thought they were creating for themselves was not created from themselves. Mm-hmm. It was spoon fed to them right. by an external source, by by a spy, by outside society. So they weren't living their lives. They weren't living their best lives. Mm-hmm. They were living someone the else's. best lives that society, someone else's, that you are, you know, expected to do this, expected to do that. I mean, as an Asian American, I was expected to be a doctor, right? And right. obviously I'm a doctor now. <laughs> so I'm, that goes back to what I said in the beginning. Had I not had that story, when if I, my dad not passed away, had I, uh-huh. or, you know, had I, you know, became a doctor the, the traditional way, yeah. I would have been another Asian American doctor and I would not be sure whether I did it for myself right. or for somebody else. Right. But because I had all that trauma, had that like the, the void black hole in my life for the, the, that three or four years, I was in a place where I was able to build my life back up again from my on my own terms. So going back to that person is just like, who says that everyone needs to be married? Who says that everyone has to have kids? Who says that everyone has to, you know, be successful in a monetary sense? Who says everyone has to do the same damn thing? Right? You're, you're, the society would be so boring. It would. That's not what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Being human is determining your own life by, by your own terms. Right. This individuality, and individualism. At least, at least in an American cultures. I mean, I've traveled so much now. I realize that other cultures have different value systems. You know, but I, I do know that there's one thing in common: is that we're not all meant to do the same exact thing. Right. Like 100%. There's no 100%. You could be that one person that's an outlier, and that's okay. Right. Do your own thing, right? You have to determine what you want to do, and you know, not to say like I, you know, don't believe in you know raising a family or not. You know, I might have my own family, but I'm gonna do it on my own schedule, on my own terms, and when I meet the right person. If I never ever meet the right meet the right person, then it's no point in raising a horrible, sad mm. family with somebody you despise and you resent in a household where there's no laughter. It's better not to raise a kid in that kind of household when you just did it because you had to rather because you were ready and you wanted to it is not fair to the kids it is not fair to the people that you raise oh, fair to anyone right? around you, you right or to anyone or anyone around you right right yeah you know and I, I would argue that uh you know social media has definitely accelerated this process of making people feel like there is this mirage that they need to go and finally you know grab in the middle of the desert and uh, scrolling through your timelines or your feeds or whatever it is, you start developing this fake sense of uh, happiness that exists and then you try to grab at it and you never end up actually getting it. And I think uh, social media has accelerated that. If you are susceptible and if you're not, you know, if you're not self-aware, like, like you mentioned, um, it's a much quicker route to unhappiness nowadays. Well, this generation knows no wars, has never fought in a world war, mm-hmm. has not experience i mean at least in the at least the american generation that we are living in right now what it means to be an american in this um whoever is listening to this podcast most of us are part of a uh, income level or you know social level where we don't know one a, a great famine a great depression right thing where like all of us have been invaded by another country or a natural disaster wiped out you know right. half our country some right. of us have gone through a, a, some variations that, Im, you know, if we were immigrated from elsewhere and whatnot. But majority of us, you, I mean, if, even if you immigrated from those, you are entering a society where the majority do not, the do, do, majority of people do not know that experience, right? And right. I'm just speaking for the majority, right? This majority doesn't know that. All they know, especially the ones who were born after 1995, all they know is 
that the entire world is at their fingertips.、Mm-hmm. They have Wikipedia. They have you know internet. They have communications. We are all now connected, and you expect them to be so happy. But why, statistically, we are this generation somehow the unhappiest generation in recent memory. Right. Our mental health issues are a high, you know, all-time high. Whether it's suicidal thoughts or you know self-harm, it's the lack of human connection. Right. You have superficial human connection of like being voyeurs to other people's you know lives through you know whatever social media that we have, but. In terms of actual, generally deep human connection, where people can have a conversation, people don't have that opportunity. Right. People in this generation haven't developed the language to even recognize that should be an opportunity. You know, something else you mentioned is that you've interacted with so many different types of people from different cultures, and I, I want to definitely get into the travel、um, adventures you, you've been on. But you know, jumping just a little bit ahead for the sake of the、sure. question,、um, you've interacted with, like I said, so many humans from different walks of life, and I think that one thing you probably develop from seeing so many different types of people is this、uh, idea of what the common denominators are, you know, within humans. I think that once you change culture to culture, you start seeing, all right, well, there's this sense of、uh, whether it's to follow your dream, you know, in different languages, or whether it's Um, you know, this is the expectation of you as you get older in, in different languages or in different cultures. You start seeing the what is expected of each human on different continents. I think you you can also speak to this, and maybe as an EM physician, you're probably even better now at figuring out exactly what is the、uh, the unique characteristic of each patient that's presenting, because you've just seen so many you know so many data points of how humans are and and what they value. It, I mean, I just feel like people. In general, all want to be seen and heard in some shape or form. Everyone is the 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 main character of their own story. But generally, what like for so many people share as well is this desire to create a profound connection, whether、mm-hmm. it's with another human being or with nature or with their craft, and the desire just to exist in some shape or form before and before they are gone from this world. Um, this、mm-hmm. general passion just to, you know, create a, you know, yeah, some kind of emotional connection,、right. um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily another person, but most of the times it is.、Um, but this this cognization that, that, that for the limited time in this planet to make the most out of it, I do believe that everyone has a desire to 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 create that for themselves. However, I do also believe that once that opportunity has passed so many times, or they are not self aware about it,、mm-hmm. they do feel like they're just. There is a subset of a population that would just clock in and clock out and have no idea what the point of everything is.、Um, but at some point in their lives, before、uh, they got to that point, there was this desire to, to make an impact in some little shape or form.、Um, right. But I'm not. I, I'm only can speak on my experiences.、Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot speak on behalf of. There are many other people I haven't met yet who may disagree and、right. you know don't want to. Um, I used to believe that everyone wanted it to, you know, be leave some kind of mark on humanity, like everyone. And I realized, you know, st- you know, stupidly、uh, later on that I was very naive in believing that there are many people who don't care for that, and that's okay. Many people just want to、uh, live their best life without having to leave a mark on humanity. And、mm-hmm. to me, 
And that's just a different language than I speak. You know, I just feel like I want to make the most out of this life. But, you know, but to me, making the most of my life is very different from what other, other people would define as making the most, uh, most out of their life. Who am I to judge what their desires are and who are they to judge mine? Mm. And that goes back to saying not everyone is meant to do the same thing. Yeah, I, I think this uh, this whole quest to to live a fulfilling life, um, you know, can be uh, can be conquered in so many different ways, and you can you can travel along so many different ways. And for you, I think the the, the main tool that that you write about and that um, I th think you're so well well known for is that the tool you use is traveling to really open up and get that sense of um, community with other people and to share your experiences and to learn from theirs. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into traveling and then now, you know, how you're using traveling to continue that pursuit? Yeah, I mean, traveling was a very similar story to med school where like I did not want to travel. I didn't care for traveling. I was born and raised in New York City, Manhattan, of all places, uh, very snobby uh, <laughs> in my upbringing that I thought I was the center of the universe, just like all the New Yorkers believe. And the whole world comes to me. So what's the point of traveling um, and spending thousands of dollars to go to places you're not going to live in anywhere? Um, New York is yeah. the center of the universe. Um, and then just like how I lost a bet with medicine, I was like, is this really like a very mature response to something that other people um, are encouraged me to do? How can I judge something that I haven't done yet? Um, right. And I was so reluctant to travel. But then somebody, um, it's, I mean, it's a long, you should, it's, it's kind of a PG-13 rated R kind mm -hmm. of a story. But let's just say that uh, I lost a bet where um, I um, met somebody and they were going to go to Egypt for a month. And uh, we made a bet where I ended up losing. And the bet was they're trying to get me to go. Tickets were like really expensive at the time. I made a joke where I'll go if tickets are under a certain amount of money. Uh -huh. And later, like as we like, you know, the next 48 hours, uh -huh. you know, as we um, got to know each other before they, that person left for Egypt, um, right at the last minute uh we checked it and went from 2000 whatever 1500 $2, round trip to like 650. oh wow uh, and, and the bet was uh i would go tickets under like 700 dollars. Oh. <laughs> and it was like it was meant to be or something but i was you know i i don't, I don't flake i never flake okay. i never rain check i never flake i uh -huh. always show up to things that i promised i would show up to and uh -huh. I, i'm a man of my word if I tell you that I'm going to show up to something, I will. And uh -huh. that was that. It was, and it was a great deal too. So I was like, I'm not going to give up on this. And I ended up, you know, getting that ticket on the spot. Um, alcohol was a little, was involved. So it was much easier. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, before I knew it, I found myself in Egypt. And then I, then I realized why tickets were so cheap. I mean, this was the beginning of the Arab Spring, I believe, the winter of 2010. Uh -huh. um, and you know, that was why things were so cheap. And I was like, oh no. Uh, I ended up with, uh, left there, I was left there by myself for three weeks. Oh no. Uh, when I expected, when I was expected to like be with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and the first week I hated it. They, I was, every minute I was like, I, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. <laughs> uh, the second week I was like, huh, I'm getting the hang of this. I'm still here. And it was not until the third week when I was like, Oh, I get it. This, this is why people travel. You know, yeah. I, it was the first time in three weeks where I had, didn't have a cell phone. 
I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a screen in front of me. I didn't have I didn't have mirrors where I was going. Like mm. I didn't, there was no, I was, there's no sense of vanity or voyeurism yeah. or needing to be connected with like people through social media. Yeah. I, I had none of that. I didn't pack any of that stuff. Yeah. I didn't expect it was I was so last minute. Um, I was by myself for the first time in three weeks where I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me, so I couldn't talk to anyone. All the signage, all the posters, all the billboards, all the TVs, all the um, you know advertisements are all in a language I didn't understand in Arabic. So the only thing I could connect to was with myself. And then it took me three weeks being dragged, kicking and screaming to something I did not like to finally enjoy something that I that everyone else already enjoyed, which is travel. Right, mm -hmm. I came back just so clear-headed and like detoxed. It was such a detox. Wow! Where I came back and really loved my like, just realized, holy crap, this is what you're made out of, right? And yeah. then I quit my job, uh, and I just traveled for three months. Um, and I had a blog, uh, taking photos, blogging every day, uh, not to let my friends and let my mom know I was okay. Yeah, every day I would blog <laughs> yeah. live. Yeah, every day I would blog live, and then people would read it, and I was very disciplined. I, I don't think there's been a day I missed uh, putting setting out a blog post in some way, other than like Antarctica, Cuba, mm -hmm. and North Korea. Um, yeah, and maybe and, Ar fair. and Iran. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but a handful of countries. Okay, uh, many countries I, I could. Okay, so but most of the, I, I for those three months I blogged every day. Uh, people started reading it, and they asked if they could come along. I already had developed a, some of a dedicated network of friends through my social justice work in the past and public speaking and uh, just a bunch of friends, you know, as if you were traveling and you post your social media and people right. are like, Hey, you know, can I join you? Right. Um, I don't know if they were joking or not, but I, you know, didn't take treat it as a joke. I was like, yeah, if you're going to say it, you better step up and follow through. And mm -hmm. some of them did. I, I'll do all the work. You show up and then uh, they pay me back, which, you know, is only legal if you're a business. I mean, right. You know, I mean, sorry, pay me back, but they were—they wanted to pay me more than I expected to be paid back, and I was totally fine with taking more of their money. Uh -huh. uh, if, you know, <laughs> they thought that was the value of what they got was, you know, greater. I should deserve. Yeah. But, then, uh, but you had to be a business, so I had no idea. So they ended up. My some of my friends ended up teaching me how to start a business, but they ended up starting it for me and then giving me wow. control of the reins. Um, but then I kept doing this, and over time, with as trips started accumulating, I had no idea I was going to turn something. Uh, out of this, it was just a blog, you know. And I was I remember I didn't have a conscious decision to create a travel company. I didn't have expectations. I was just living in the moment. And then two to three years later, after a bunch of trips under my belt, I looked back and I realized there was this community of people calling themselves monsooners, meeting around the world mm. with other people, um, reuniting around the world, saying, "Oh, you travel Calvin too?" And then they would send me photos, and they would just call themselves monsooners and things that I never expected to be. Uh, um, a, a leader of if you will um until it was already happening and you see what i mean like yeah. i didn't set out to become a doctor i didn't yeah. set out to run a travel company i didn't even set out to travel right. um but all organic done all these things it's all yeah. organic all holistic and you know no, no dreams no right. expectations just live in the moment and then one or two years later it all adds up you look back and he's like what have i created Mm -hmm. That is honest. That is real. That is something that you do not for the money, not to make it big, not to be like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and make tons of money. Uh, what's your idea? I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And they do all the bunch of random ideas that like doesn't take off because everyone's like, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. 
if you generally believe in your craft and you don't care for the money, but you care about creating a movement, not a business, then maybe it'll take off in ways that you wouldn't expect. The whole process of connecting with yourself was actually you realizing your own values. And when you got back to the States, you now were more aware, like you talked about earlier, and you, you know you know your values and now you can manifest them into a movement. And then, you know, that beautifully turns into a business later on. But the organic part of that is really realizing your your values. But you're talking, you're speaking of your, a sense of self-awareness, um, mm-hmm. that self-love equals self-awareness plus self-care. This, this, this awareness of values, however, it creates itself in a parallel fashion. It's not like one thing leads to another. I mean, things do, but sometimes things can only be possible when something else is going on at the same time, whether it's a cognizance of your values or developing your values as you're doing something else. It's not right. It's not things that are linear. Life doesn't work out that way. I generally believe that my values in travel and you yeah. know, learning how to travel responsibly and sustainably right. without leaving you know a negative mark on the places you've been for more of a positive mark in whichever way you could was only possible because I was in medical school at the time. And I really believe that me in medical school, I was able to develop this sense of empathy and you know connecting with another human being, treating people, um, not numbers and lab values, right? Treating people mm-hmm. as people instead of cases, right? It was only possible because I was traveling at the same time. And the value of medicine that I developed, the values that I developed in medicine was only possible because of the values developed in travel. These values that create, pretty much are, sy- are symbiotic. They create, they prop each other up that one could not have existed without the other. Uh, and I really believe that people generally don't, most of the people uh, who struggle uh, with trying to figure out, you know, trying to fit everything together, the, um, maybe the answer is not to do one thing at a time, but rather doing two things they want to do at the same time. And, and foregoing the fear of not being able to fit everything yet because I do believe that sometimes doing more actually saves you more time. Two yeah. things help each other out. Like medical school was only, you know, yes, it, there's only so much time in a day, but because I traveled, I studied more efficiently. Because I studied more efficiently, I had more time to sleep. Because I slept more, I was more awake and more energized to yeah. travel more. And because I was more energized, and traveling more, I was in a happier space to study while traveling in, a, uh, in an airplane or wherever I was. And because I was studying in many different environments, I was able to hold on to the material better, right? There is a scientific mm-hmm. truth to studying in different environments, yeah. allows you to hold on to memories better, right? Rather than studying in one place where everything becomes a blur because you're only with one place. You don't know right. any, you know, compartmentalization of your knowledge. And because all that, I mean, not all of this was planned. This is not planned. It just happened to work out in the way where it's like, wow, this is working out really well. I don't know why. And then just looking back, we just realized, holy shit, they all like <laughs> helped each other out. Yeah, it all kind of came together. Um, and, you know, aside from the studying, too, you talked about so many different elements uh, coming together to kind of help you realize, you know, what what makes what, what gives you meaning, meaning to your life and what kind of helps uh, drive you every day. Um, in preparing for this interview, I, I also watched your TED Talk, um, which is very oh, informative. Not and- my- not my favorite, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, one of my favorite parts from that talk was you talked about intersectionality. Um, basically, you know, the crossroads of the different aspects of your identity coming together. So how has travel kind of helped you, you know, 
define that, that intersectionality in your life? And how, how have you seen these different elements come together to help you, you know, define your identity? Intersectionality came from a, a bunch of different sources. Um, my social justice ad- advocate work, definitely travel, medicine, um, and in some way, like Star Wars Rogue One was like another good one. Um, uh-huh. the, the, I mean, obviously, my social justice work, you know, I, I it starts off with a selfishness in some way, if you will. Like, it, I know not the best choice of words, but yeah, there's like a like I encountered racism as an Asian American growing up in New York, and you know, people would you know bully me for being Asian American, call me you know certain ra- racially sensitive names and whatnot, and I didn't like it. I don't know why I didn't like it. I knew it was wrong, but because of that, I decided to become you know more focused on Asian American issues to stand up for why, you know, myself and my identity. And that Asian Americanness, you know, is like a sign of selfish. Like I'm Asian American, therefore I fight for Asian American stuff. But over time as you, you know, grow up and try to learn more and always, you know, uh, entertain the idea that you might be wrong and you shouldn't be the self-righteous person, this woke self-righteous person that always mm-hmm. knows better, right? And rather than if you're really, really woke, you know understand that you are wrong all the time yeah um that you're constantly learning and realize there are other groups who have it worse than you do who have struggled similarly than what you do or the fact that your group even exists you your asian americanist even exists is only yeah. possible because of another group who helped you get there right if yeah. you really want to learn about what it means to be an asian american learn about the civil rights movement where our rights were only made possible because of what black rights did for us in the 1960s and there was a time you learned that japanese americans and blacks uh worked together in the 1960s helping each other right when when the reverse affirmative action was ruled in favor of alenbake in you know 1970 uh, by the u.s supreme court which you know was horrible right mm-hmm. um this is basically like abigail fisher but this time it, they they won um with the Supreme, Supreme Court actually ruled that the reason why what this white guy didn't get in med school was because he was white in the 70s. Uh, Asian Americans actually stood up for black Americans uh, in protest of this decision, even though affirmative action didn't help them uh, being Asian American uh, right. ed- education. This sets of solidarity you never know about, but you like took the time to actually learn about it rather than, oh, being Asian American is like really tough and you know, it's just like being black in this country. No, it's not, it's very different, all right? Yes, there is, it's on the same spectrum, right? Of, uh, of oppression and, you know, but it's just also different and that, but that being in the same spectrum doesn't mean that you cannot work together. And then that you start to learn that your world opens up a little bit and you're humbled by it. And you start learning that women go through shit in a different way. And right. then you know that LGBT, LGBTQ people go through things in a different way. And you know that you learn that disabled people, and then you know there's religious and you know, or Muslim or being black and brown. And you go through all these different, and it's very overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. A lot of people at this point start to be like, well, what's the point? Everything is just too, too overwhelmed to handle. Yeah. Um, I need to just focus on myself, which is fine. It's like a natural human response to be intimidated by just the idea of, you know, exposing yourself to so much pain, right? Ignorance is bliss, but it's not overwhelming if you're looking in, in through the lens of intersectionality, right? Realizing we're all on the same spectrum. We all have to go through different forms of oppression, mm. but intersectionality allows us to actually find a space where we can all work together. You know, I'll never know what it's like to be a woman because I'm a man, so I have a lot of privilege. Right. Me with a lot of privilege as a man, 
uh, it allows me access to certain spaces that a woman doesn't because they're not men, right? But as an Asian American, I've experienced a support form of oppression that allows me to identify with, you know, women in terms of their oppression. Not the same, the same, the same thing, but inter- intersectionality allows that empathy, right? And as a result, I can give, I can make my spaces, spaces that I have access to as a man, feminist, right? I can make my spaces that I have access to as an Asian American more open to the black community or LGBTQ. As a heterosexual, I can make the spaces I have access to more open right. to LGBTQ. As a non-disabled person, more open to able uh, disabled, you know, things like that to create that that access as empathy. And that's goes to traveling, you know, to go to other people's spaces sustainably, like being a fly on the wall, not having any, you know, to minimize your impact. That's the essence of my travel. Monsooning is to have a minimal impact, but just to observe what other people go through to develop that empathy and realize you know everything that you are marveling as that uh, as a tourist or as a traveler yeah. um, are actually just normal everyday things that also are, are pretty mundane for them as well as mundane back at home you do all this newfound appreciation for you know what you have at home and um, as well as developing genuine connection with people around the world to realize there is right. a bigger world out there than your own problems right it may, yes racism as an Asian American sucks but there are huge problems outside your bubble that you also need to recognize that really you know gives you a bigger idea on how to react to it rather than just you know a one-sided approach right of course i address racism when i experience it as an asian american but i do it not in a tunnel vision or in a silo but rather with a larger perspective of it gets addressed but in a very holistic wholesome way of you know realizing that this there are bigger problems you know there are better hills to die on Right. right. Um, and then finally, Star Wars Rogue One. Like, I have access to all these things. This is kind of like that guy who builds the Death Star, the father of the main character, right? Everybody wants to kill him. The Empire is not sure about him because he, like, kind of left, but they got him back because he's the only one who could design the Death Star. He designed mm-hmm. this horrible, you know, superstation that could destroy worlds. The Rebel Alliance wants to assassinate him. So everybody hates him. Right? He, he, what does he stand for? But at the end of the day, he knows what's right. He has his values and he, he's the one who designed the, to save his life and his family um, and his daughter. He needs he needs to work in the Death Star, but at the same time, he builds the weakness in this Death Star that allows him to be destroyed so easily. Therefore, him being the Rebel Alliance sign, knowing that he can shoulder that burden because he has access to a space of privilege that other people don't, right? He's right. able to create that, even though it means everyone hating him and wanting to kill him. Uh, he's right. able to take that. I'm not saying that I am that noble or I am or kind of like Batman in the Dark Knight. You know, I'm that person who we can shoulder. I'm that hero. But I, at least I can aspire, given the privileges and uh, accesses that I have, I've been afforded, you know, given the privilege I've been born in, right? Right. Um, I, I need to do something with it that gives access to the people who weren't as privileged as fortunate as I am, you know? And I don't want to come across as this, you know, self-righteous, like I'm holier than thou, oh, I know everything, or like my life is so awesome. But, you know, really, I do have to recognize I have so much privilege and I want to do something good with it. And if there's any way I can do it responsibly and empathetically and, you know, with you know, sustainability, please, you know, check me when I'm, you know, going right. too far with it. That's why I, I plead for the people around me in my network. But it's just constant, I don't know everything. I'm just constantly on this journey to be better. That, that's that's awesome. Honestly, a, a lot of people, you know, need to hear that. And um, I, I wanted to ask you this, you know, sense of self-awareness, but also based off of these, you know, different pieces of wisdom that you mentioned, 
Is there a country or an area of the world that you visited that you felt like more people resonated with those ideas more so than the states? Um, and and if so, where are those places? And you know, can you tell us more about where you might have heard these ideas? I can't choose favorites among my children. Uh, I, I mean, you, you can go anywhere, any country, and, and if you stay right. there and learn. If you stay there long enough, it will unravel right. for you. Unfortunately, I don't have that. Yeah. Um, time. Uh, I know this is weird after saying all that, but yeah, yeah, I don't have that time to med school and residency to spend months and months in the country. Right, right. That's just impossible for me. Right? right. I do the most with that. I don't give an excuse and not go at all. Right. If you're hungry and you're starving, mm-hmm. right? Do you just starve yourself until you wait for that big feast, or do you? If, and there's a buffet in front of you, right? Do you starve yourself saying, you know, instead of waiting a buffet, I'll wait for the steak that probably will never come. Right. That's how I treat it. Like. I'm starving. I want to travel, and I only have such a limited amount of time. I'll treat it like a, I see a buffet. Of the yeah. world. I'll have a little bit of everything. Right. Knowing which it. one to come back. Yeah. Sample everything. A little bit of everything. Spend yeah. a few days in every country, so I know exactly where to go later on when I have more time and money. And that's what I've been doing. And there are certain countries that have an amazing first impression, and there are some countries that don't as as much. And I have to go back to really just check more. I've been back to Budapest multiple times in the last year. Uh, I've been to India more times than I can count, and you know, and I, you know, it's it, everyone says, "Oh, would you ever go to a country twice?" That's my answer. Yes, I would. Um, I guess they they created a sense of um, fascination with me that I needed more digging. Right. Um, I would say the Middle East, uh, the the Persian Gulf area, the the Arabic Peninsula, have, are is extremely fascinating for. Um, to see the intersections of dynamics of privilege and oppression, um, as well as the Balkans, the Southeast Asia, former Yugoslavic nations. That's a, a whole can of worms of no speak, there really being no such thing as right and wrong. Um, the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict uh, over uh, the disputed territories of Nakhchivan and Nagorno-Karabakh is also very you know, controversial. And you try to find out who's right, who's wrong when you actually go to both of those countries. Yeah. Um, Southeast Asia and you know, learning about formal like the the um, the, the former colonies uh, and the effects of colonialism. You know, the or even going to India and Pakistan and seeing what colon- British colonialism had done to them. And the, you know, it's very complicated. There are a lot of things that people miss about colonialism, and at the same time, you know, the Definitely. colonialism screwed up a lot of things. You know, a lot of people love Gandhi, but you know, they're seeing his praises, but there's a lot of controversial things he did, right. you know, in you know, separating the and that's the same with Israel and Palestine. Like I mean I can go on and on. North Korea and South Korea, you know, like who's really right? Who, you know, it you don't know. And the the intersections of it, of oppression and privilege really is pertinent over there because you realize that everyone has their own story and wants to be connected seen and heard and make a connection while trying to establish what they've been brought up to believe, what society. And it really goes back to everything we just talked about last hour about, you know, what is real? What is real? Is the things that you've been taught to believe in, you get married, have a family, they're bad, this is good, you know, this is right. That's brainwashing, right? And that's fine. We all have to to be brainwashed with certain habits to survive. Our parents taught us, you know, you as an Asian American, don't do this. Or you as a woman, don't travel alone or don't walk in this alone in that because you are a woman or you know you as a disabled person or you as a muslim or you as a black person you know when, when you approach police and things like that all these conversations are given to us to, to prevent to preserve ourselves um our, our our survival right and these are in habits that we gain over time as we grow up but then at a point where we have to finally free to think for ourselves 
there is that space to undo and unlearn all those habits to really realize that right. is it the truth and a lot of people don't do that because it's been so ingrained and it'll be perpetuated for the rest of their lives and that's all those are the people who never travel who never like step outside mm. the boundaries who prefer ignorance is bliss and that's okay but you know what is not okay is when they reach the end of their lives and they look back and there's some sinking feeling that they messed it all up that they mm. missed out on something that they're unhappy and they don't know why but i do know there's a big fraction of people who do that and never you know change anything and look back and they're profoundly unhappy and they don't know why and then it's too late to turn it all around right so before that ever happens at least give yourself the opportunity to just give you the space to take chances and take risks to go to those countries you know responsibly if you can um and really see it firsthand rather than reading about it from a book uh right. what is real and what isn't because right. if you go to both sides you realize that everything that you bring back home and realize nothing you ever believe in or ever was taught to believe in may be true um and if you believe that then you're in a space to finally develop a self-care self-awareness to be your own best person so you can go back to those places if you can with the privilege to help out if, you know to or to give or to um create a sustainable way of you know helping those who are not as fortunate to pull them up you know because they need you uh, they need people who are right. in a place to do that yeah i definitely agree with that and i think at this point in the interview there's probably so many listeners that are fired up and want to travel and you know whether they're in medical school whether they're already practicing medicine or they're in a whole another industry altogether uh, you know just being a professional it's so hard to find time and money to travel however one thing that you know you definitely talk about a lot is that there is time and there is money you just got to find it um talk a little bit about how as a medical student and as a resident you found time and money to travel Yeah this oh, and just the the prep uh, as a disclaimer for everything I just said those are all things I have learned about in retrospect it's, I I I caution people to go into traveling yeah like thinking that you're going to save the world or you're there to like make an impact or whatever uh because you, like, that's heavy dreams and you'll be disappointing yourself and you're you're being yeah you know, thinking like a colonist you know thinking that you know better <laughs> you're some kind of white savior uh going with, with open no expectation with an open mind open mind yeah. yeah these are all things i look back and like holy crap i i have this now i know where i need to you know pursue right um but how to travel in the med school not time and money um i took out loans a lot to you know fund my med school but then i had some left over and i used that to travel because i thought it was for my wellness um but there a lot of the times also i minimized my spending at home for traveling Um I have a lot of stuff on my website that mm-hmm. really lists all the things I did that all added up. Sometimes I sublet into my apartment on Craigslist um uh, for to pay for people to pay not just for rent but also had a little left over to pay for my travels. Mm-hmm. Um I would always budget my trips so that uh it would be very 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 cheap to travel where food would be $3 a day, hostels would be $5 a day. I would end up spending maybe like $15 a day, uh which is way under than how much I would spend in New York. So over time yeah. if you travel long enough like for 3 or 4 weeks, you end up actually saving money. Um flights to that I would always look for flights um that would be like 200 300 round trip and those do exist. You can fly from New York to Beijing for 300 400 round trip wow. if you look hard enough. Right yeah. and I think that's totally worth it. Um there are certain hack fares where I I think I was setting up trip for this uh friend of mine and she wanted to go from 
New York to London to Prague to Budapest to Rome to like six different European cities and back to New York, right?、Mm-hmm. And it was like four thousand dollars for all those flights, right? right. Understandable, right? Right, right? And all I and I, I was screwing around and I was like, what if I switch? Instead of from London to Prague to, or, or like instead of from Ma- Madrid to London to Prague to Rome, I did Rome to Prague to London to Madrid, same cities, same whatever, right?、Yeah. Same dates, and it ended up going down to like seven hundred, eight hundred round trip、uh, wow. for all the flights.、It、went from four thousand to eight hundred dollars just by switching a few flights. And most people don't even do that, you know. Most people don't even think about doing that.、And、I just did it just to screw around.、Um, I have those screenshots on my website as well. Okay, right. And people are just like, oh, that's so much time and so much work. Well, to save thirty-two hundred dollars in a trip of a lifetime, <laughs> I think that's worth it. I think it's worth the two seconds of fiddling around. Right. Right. So don't give me that excuse. If it really、yeah. means that much to you, you would screw around a little bit、um, with those with those flights. It, it costs nothing to, you know, just two seconds of your time just for that thirty-two. I think that's a it's a bet worth making.、Um, What else? I mean, there's just so many things. The time you can do so much with 36 hours. I mean, New York Times has a whole column called 36 hours to a different country. Like, don't tell me that I'm the only crazy one out there. All right, <laughs> you could do so much with Friday. Leave Friday after work, Friday night. Go to Dublin. You can go as far as Moldova or Greece, and spend Saturday and Sunday there, and fly back before Monday work. You know, time zones is like kind of like time travel. You leave Friday night on a six-hour flight, you can get to Iceland, Dublin, Moldova, or whatever by Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. You have all of Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, right? You have all of Sunday, right? But because you're going back to New York City or back、um, west to wherever in the United States you live,、yeah. right? Because of time zones, if you leave Sunday night, you will get back home Sunday night. Do you remember how time zones work, right? Right. You know, you leave Monday morning, you will leave, come back Monday morning. So you really do have forty-eight hours. Yeah. And the forty hours now is that a long? Is that enough time to see everything?、Yeah. Yes, it is for a lot of cities, Dublin, you know, or or even London or Moldova, Kisinau,、um, or、uh, or even Athens. Like that's enough. You know, it's like remember like a buffet. You can、yeah. therefore take. You know what to、yeah. exactly go back to. Sample、and、it. Flights round trip. Sample it and round trip flights like to to Reykjavik in Iceland for tw- two days there. You know, like maybe two hundred bucks on Wow Air, one hundred fifty bucks on Wow Air.、Um, and I know to a lot of people that might be still a lot of money, but money is not your measurement of your worth as a human being. Yeah, money is a conduit to, to experiences that are that may not be ever repeated for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I do believe that travel is not an interruption or an expense. It's an investment in your well-being, in your wellness, and for future opportunities that can may yield dividends. If I didn't travel, I would not probably have never made it to all the way I am now as an attending tra- on travel gigs, learning、yeah. how to travel. And I wouldn't be able to have access to the amount of wealth that I do now、yeah. um, to seek those opportunities abroad because you know I didn't travel. I mean, if I had not traveled, I wouldn't have those opportunities. Travel is an investment. Yes, two hundred dollars is a lot of money, but you spent much more money on car payments, on a flat screen TV,、right. on your pet care, on <laughs> bottles like, of like, the club, bo- right? <laughs> bottles of the club, buying shots for your friend,、right. buying the unnecessary like a fancy dinner. Like、if you really save all that up, 
like those those are no those are objects those are things right mm -hmm. and over time anything you spend money on that are things loses value over time every one of them you're always looking back and it's like why did i pay for the same amount as i did now for this tv why did i pay the same amount for that shot now looking back absolutely yeah. most of the time no travel however think about it increases in value increases in value over time for that experience you would have been like man i would have paid three times as much yeah. I, I mean i wouldn't because you know no and i had that but yeah man that was worth it and it's only more worth it more and i miss that time and you would spend more just to live that experience again you would spend much more money you know than you did for that trip just so you could go back in time and just be in that moment where you felt alive money should not be used as a worth of your well-being if you lose money or it doesn't mean you're less of a human being yeah. So you don't you can't don't make enough money that means does not mean the less of a human being right don't treat money as this like finite thing it's a resource that yes is 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 very conducive to happiness and access but you know it should not be the end all be all of like oh if i don't have it therefore i am you know screwed you know there are many ways to minimize the cost of a trip uh if you work hard enough where money doesn't have to be a burden um, and if anything, you, if you look at a different perspective, money's more spent as an investment in your yeah. future that will create more money in the future, more dividends in the future. Uh, if you do travel, yeah, you will meet people, you will meet people abroad who may want to do business with you, who may want to partner up with you, who may provide opportunities for you in other countries to travel to, who may, who may pay for your lodging or maybe host you in their home country, you know, yeah. so you don't have to worry about lodging. And had you not traveled in the first place, you would never have met those people, have made those connections or learned their life skills to have that access to save money or make more money in the future. Yeah, it's it's the whole switching, you know, from thinking that money is your net worth to network being your net worth. Just having that, that network around the world, in, in your case especially, and just having people right. you can connect with any time or, um, you know, anytime you can learn from them and they can learn from you, that, that whole network right. is more valuable than anything you could buy. Yeah, if I had I not made that expense, that couple hundred dollars, which for me at the time was so much money. I was like, yeah. why am I spending like for hundreds Egypt. of dollars to travel yeah. for Egypt or for, I mean, I, I was, I was, by the time I graduated med school, I, was, I became $200,000, $300,000 in debt, student right. loan debt, right? Spending $400 on a trip was so stupid to me. Yeah. But had I not done that, done that, I would not have met this person who would teach me how to, you know, the how to use miles. You know, whatever. I would not have met the other person who would host me anytime I was in, a, you know, the, these Europeans. Or I never met the person with like a family network that spanned all of Middle East and South Asia. That anytime I would travel, I have somewhere to stay for free, right? Mm -hmm. That four hundred dollars that I spend, or five hundred dollars I spend on that one trip, now allows me. Going back to the first person who taught me how to use miles, allows me to fly first class, business class for free hmm. because I'm miles. Anytime wow. I want to. Wow! Right to I actually learned that two-hour conversation I had at miles uh, over miles in like you know that foreign country allowed me to finally like learn it and do it. And if I didn't spend that four hundred dollars, I would be spending hundreds of dollars on economy flights still. Right? Mm -hmm. Have you know had I not spent that four hundred dollars, six hundred dollars to do that travel to meet that person who would host me? You know, with their big giant network of family members all over. You know, right. I would be spending hundreds of dollars on hotels. Right. You know, in my later life. It's, right. it's, you should, you know, you, people don't think about that because it's not, it's not obvious to them, but let me be yeah. the first person to tell you, or one of the people to tell you, you know, 
it's not it never works out the way you think it does right and you know though the way some people and you know bringing this back to medicine the way some people think that their medical career is going to work out is they hear a lot about of course that the debt is there but then also burnout and you mentioned this earlier in the conversation as well and being an emergency medicine physician you know it's something that uh, everyone is making sure they can or you know they have some some plan in place to kind of avoid that burnout later in their career especially with emergency medicine being the leading specialty uh, with you know physicians that are getting burnt out so you know talk a little bit about how this experience is going to you know help you keep your element and how so far you found that uh, it, it you know it's help you avoid that 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 title of being burnt out but what is burnout, right? Burnout is not, oh, I hate this, you know, thing. Um, burnout is doing the same damn thing over and over and over and over and over again without any breaks, without any rest, without any interruption, mm -hmm. right? Even if it's something that you love, right? What is your favorite food? Sushi? Is it steak? Is it a familiar? Is it like some amazing chickpea, you know, whatever? Yeah. Uh, be vegetarian? I don't, I don't care what it is. Choose your favorite food. If you were forced to eat that every meal of every day for 10 years, yeah. At some point, you will get sick of it. Yeah. Right? That's burnout in my definition. Right? There are many other definitions of burnout, but that is the one aspect of burnout. I love my job as an ER doctor, but if I were to do it every waking moment without a day off, I will burn out. Hmm. Same thing with travel. I would if I you told me that I would be on vacation for six months where I'll be away for six months traveling for the rest of my life. I'm oh, sorry, for the for those six months every day. Well, let's say travel for the rest of my life. That sounds great, but I will tell you, I have been there before. I will burn out from travel because I was like at one of the most beautiful places in the world. Like you'd say even Machu Picchu, yeah. staring at it. And I'm like, I feel nothing <laughs> because I've been so sensory overloaded the last three or four months seeing the most beautiful, quote unquote, beautiful places in the world. This right. beautiful place, that beautiful place. You have to see that, you can see this temple, you can see that. You are looking at Machu Picchu, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world <laughs> and feel nothing. That's horrible. You spend you. It's people's dreams to go to Machu Picchu on their bucket list or whatever you call it, and you're right. just there because it's another Thursday. That's not. That's not right. You need. Yeah. And, you know. The, you, we we search for profound, and you know you, you don't want to go to a place that you spend so much time and effort to go to and not feel anything. That's yeah. the same with travel. You know, you need a break from that. So, with as an ER doc to prevent burnout, I travel. By the time I work long enough, I start to miss tra traveling. You know, understand, but just like everyone else, oh, I can't wait to go on this trip or whatever. But right. I structured my schedule that I will always have a trip once a month or every other week, some kind of trip. Mm -hmm. Right? Most of the times, an international, like something so opposite and extreme of the extreme work that you do as an ER doc. Mm -hmm. Right? By the time I get sick of working uh, and miss travel, I already have a trip lined up. All right. Sometimes I buy the flight the day of. Okay. Right. I need to get. But actually, there's a pro tip. <laughs> Some a lot of the times the flights are cheapest day up. They're trying to fill up okay. empty seats. I'm not in every flight, but there's some flights that are so uh, the flights are so empty they want to fill up empty seats to project a really 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 cheap flight for like a hundred two hundred bucks whatever. Just get away, right? I leave for a weekend, yeah, or I leave for a week. Yeah, I get to a point where I'm traveling so much I get sick of traveling and I start missing work. By the time I get to that point, I'm already back at work. Right, <laughs> back and forth, back and forth a lot. Of and I do other things too, you know, I do a lot of social justice stuff, I do a lot of public speaking, traveling for public speaking, as well as, you know, volunteering for races and, you know, treating a different kind of uh, subset of patients, people who are not, you know, like the really, really sick ones, but also the people who are conditioned to be like the healthiest people on the planet who run a marathon and just need to a tune up before they go, like different, pe different patients. 
I vary up my life so that I'm always constantly learning and being stimulated in a different way. Yeah. And that prevents burnout for me. Yeah. You know, you definitely sound like someone who hates being put in a box because you have so many, you know, different, um, uh, different interests, of course, but also different titles. And so I got to ask you, you know, if there was a viral video uh, for Dr. Calvin's son and you were doing, you know, you were doing something that you loved and this video had a billion views or whatever, what would, what would that video be about? Or what are you doing in that video? Would you say? Well, the video already exists. I have a okay. video that has like 600,000 views or something like that. I don't know. A couple hundred thousand uh-huh. of views. Um, and it was a video of me and a group of friends, uh, sneaking into an, this, uh, forbidden part of the hotel in North Korea. Uh, that was like a really weird, surreal experience. Technically at the time when I went in 2011, this hotel in North Korea um, was the only hotel you could stay in as a tourist. And they had this floor within a floor uh, that was omitted from all the elevators that you could access by stairwell. And it wasn't that you weren't allowed to go in, it's just that it doesn't exist, right? The government really uh, disavows any knowledge of its existence wow um so you can't really get in trouble for exploring a place that doesn't exist though there have been plenty of the people who have been there and like been like freaked out by it or like like weirded out by the existence that that is the its presence and any like photography video of it is usually deleted at the airport i mean at the airport when you leave in north korea they do go through your photos and delete what they don't like um but this happened to get through and there's a video of us there and you know yeah, you know, it's it's pretty surreal, and it's been getting a lot of hits because a lot of people made it the mecca for you know, you know, uh, adrenaline junkie travelers. Um, unfortunately, it also theoretically or you know, re- reportedly, was the place where Otto Warmbier wandered mm-hmm. to and quote unquote right. stole a pollster, um, and then was uh, you know incarcerated in North Korea uh, as a result, and that ultimately led. Uh, he ultimately died, um, and that's an unfortunate result of that. But that happened in 2016, um, five years after that. And it wasn't that because that he wandered there. Like people still go there now, right. um, are you know, caught. You know, we were caught, whatever, and we were escorted back to our rooms. I mean, without an escort, we were just directed to go back to our rooms, and we just, you know, it wasn't that. It was the the the, the supposed. Um, theory that he stole a poster, oh, uh, which we didn't. Yeah, we didn't do anything. We didn't touch anything. We didn't steal anything. We just explored, and that's fine. But you know, there's a video of us doing that back in 2011, and um, yeah, I think that answers your question. It already exists. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty crazy experience to have, though, and I can understand why that video is viral. I'm sure people are googling it right now as listening to this. You talked about DJing and breakdancing and uh, bartending and these other interests you also have. Are you still keeping up with these other interests today? And you know, how much of your life do you get to spend doing those things? Yes, I'm doing all those things still since I was 18. I, I just taught uh, a bartending class uh, in my backyard right before the weather got cold. I uh-huh. started still like teach people how to bartend. Uh, I did that in college in, in Colombia as part of the Columbia School of Mixology. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I have uh, a bar at home. DJing was something I started doing when uh, I had my 21st birthday party in college and my DJ 
didn't show up, so I ended up learning on the fly with another friend and realizing how fun and easy with it was. I went to music school, and my my parents sent me off to music school if, uh, every Saturday for seven years,、okay. um, middle school and high school. So I developed the musicality of you know, you know learning a composition and you know music theory and、yeah. ear training and all that stuff.、Uh, so I, I know I have I have this like I love music. I, I, I like pursue music in a way that's very emotional to me. So as a DJ, I read the crowd, which it was, came from bartending, by the way. Like learning how to read a crowd and you know start a party, and transitioning to like creating a story with my playlists as a DJ、um, and creating a, a narrative that you know is seamless. It's like kind of creating a mixtape. One of my favorite movies at the time was High Fidelity, and creating a story through a mixtape is essentially how I decided to DJ, and people genuinely loved it. And I just, you know, I even DJed as recently as like the holiday party for my residency、um, for free.、Uh, oh, nice. And yeah, and then the dancing. I, I've been dancing since high school, college.、Um, I have a you know modern hip hop background, and you know, you know, like any other Asian American wanted to break dance, and I thought it was a really good workout, full body workout. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you know, unlike other people who just you know dabbled in, it, I actually stuck with it. Remember, I don't flake, right? Yeah, I don't flake. Right, right. I don't rain check. I I'm a man of my word. So I showed up to every freaking practice, and I never.、Nice. I, unlike other people who just eventually dropped down, which is 99 of the people,、yeah. I was the only who stayed all throughout all through four years, and I still do it now.、Um, and yeah, I still make dance in the dance studio of my gym、uh, because it has big mirrors, and you know, I just learned how to shuffle. I know I'm a little late on that, but. Just missed learning how to dance new moves.、Um, I just went to like a couple hip hop classes last week back in New York.、Uh-huh. I did a modern dance class like two weeks before. Oh yeah, and in college, my senior year in college, I forgot.、Um, I lost a bet to another friend, and I ended up、uh, being signed up. You make a lot of、team. bets. <laughs> That's I think is the theme of life. Like if you're not、yeah. sure what to do, just put yourself in situations where, you know, where you have no option but to do it. So I lost the bet. I ended up being signed up for the bungra team in Colombia、uh, tryouts,、nice. and I ended up learning how to bungra. And then I was one of the founding、uh, first members of the CU Doom team, so I learned how to do Bollywood. And nice. That got that ended up got me into that community there, where we actually did a collaboration. It's on YouTube where I did a collaboration where we had bungra and break dancing together in one、That's、of my、uh, shows. Yeah,、uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah, where I was break dancing with the Bunger team, it was it was awesome.、Um, but yeah, that's still do it now. We're all still friends,、um, and yeah, it's、um, doing public speaking next、uh, semester when spring comes around for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Black History Month, and you know the social justice. When the weather gets better, I'm going to do my little tour around the country every year to speak at different campuses. Yeah, which I enjoy. Um, yeah, I mean, I just actually spoke at a couple schools last week.、Um, I just went to the downstate one,、uh, my med school. But yeah, still do all those things. I never stop. That's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, that's、uh, I was telling you the other day. Like, you know, me, Reesh, and Dee all kind of have backgrounds in hip hop as well,、uh, whether it's production or DJing or rapping. But it's a lot of fun balancing those things、um, with your professional life and the whole mixtape thing you mentioned. Is a huge inspiration source for us as well. There's this guy by the name of Jay Period who used to put together、um, mixtapes, and he did both, you know, half journalism, half music, and so that was kind of the inspiration behind how Medicine Remix started. 
And, you know, I would argue that, you know, a lot of life is, you know, sampling these different ideas and creating your your mixtape. And this is the mixtape of Dr. Calvin's son. (laughs) I have actually a bunch of mixtapes. Yeah. um, Because I realized um, I made for myself. I don't know the names of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, my life is so weird and complex, and just has yeah. no like any no structure that I can't, it can't be one mixtape. It has to be like a bunch of different mixtapes. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's hard to tell from this podcast, uh, but I'm deep down this like introverted, melancholic, shy, you know, and, you know, kind of guy. And what I grew up, at least I was, and I developed this outer exterior, fun, you know, outgoing, extroverted, confident. Uh, um, so that's actually now really much part of who I am. Um, it was something that I had to like learn how to do, but um, the nature of what I grew up as was this shy, introverted person, which I kind of revert back to every now and then. But like, yeah, yeah I have a playlist called The Majestic of the Game, the top rated most played, Spirits of Ithaca, the most underplayed, mm. uh, that's the, la- the, the Odyssey, <laughs> Aureal Science, Classical Mix, Shake Your Hip and Hop Around, that's my DJ mix. Uh, Sunday Morning Rain is my like melancholic, nostalgic saudaji Brazilian word for saudaji um, longing mix um, yeah you can just you know it's, it's, it's yeah. really like my favorite song yeah. at the top of my Majestic the Game playlist my favorite song is still uh, with like over like 2,000 plays and five stars uh, Just Breathe by Telepop Music I'll check it out I've never heard it but we'll definitely check it out so what what's next to make you uh, feel uncomfortable um was is it stand-up comedy? Is it impromptu? I mean, you do impromptu speaking to a certain degree now. Is it? I was talking to you yesterday a little yeah. bit, but you know, is it freestyle dancing, rapping? What's next to to make you feel uncomfortable? To be honest, like uh, it's structure that makes me uncomfortable. I actually learned and more comfortable with freestyle dancing as a b-boy, mm. like all a uh, hip hop. Uh, I'm really good when there's no structure or choreography. I just, you know, I, I take other people's choreography and, you know, incorporate it, but then I create my own out of it and do my own thing. Uh, and that's what I'm comfortable with. My speaking engagements are impromptu. They are not structured. They have no, nothing's written down. Hmm. Uh, after my dad died at the funeral, there was one speech I gave in New York, which was written down. I hated it. I just didn't think it was like really honest to, you know, I what I felt. And then I did another at his wake in his business in Connecticut. And that was when I was like, I threw out the speech and this went off the fly. And I loved it. Everyone loved it. And I was like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to do it. Um, And I never had a written speaking engagement ever since. So what would make me uncomfortable is the opposite. Yeah. Doing choreography. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing class the classes I'm in dance class I'm doing I've never taken a dance class before I learned how to dance by just practicing with my you know dance teams uh, that was part of you know, on the side and never really performing them the choreography but like incorporating my or you know then at times I did do choreography it was so tough but I just did it for a show and it was over to actually go to a dance class to learn choreography for just shits and giggles without any yeah. you know performance to plan for that's really hard for me you know no fire under my ass other than just to learn it um so there's that and then there's also uh i guess you mentioned to learn how to rap uh i think that is a kind of a structure with language um there's certain rules and like practice things um is that's very difficult and i I mean i'm I'm not going to shy away from it i've developed a habit of throwing myself into uncomfortable situations what i love about rap is that it feels like 
It's puzzles to me. Like words are like puzzles and trying to figure out a puzzle. Like how can I take words and, and put them at the end of the sentence, but in between maybe make some words rhyme. So sandwich those words and try to make them, make them rhyme inside of the phrase and then come back outside and try to rhyme with the word that I ended on the snare. I'm just I'm kind of real into the, the technical part of, of it. And I think, you know, it also goes along with your interest in DJing, reading the crowd, whether you're bartending or DJing, you're, you're reading the crowd and your playlist has to match the current mood and not how the mood was an hour ago or how it's going to be an hour from now. But I, I got to ask, you know, this is the medical student in me, you know, really curious. A lot of your life is based off of this uncertainty and these uncomfortable situations, but you chose to go into uh, medicine. And a lot of medicine is critiqued nowadays for being very structured and a lot of people say, oh, the golden age of medicine is gone. And nowadays, insurance companies are actually the ones that are, you know, conducting a lot of the encounters and the, their their hand is always at play. And so I wanted to ask you, when you're when you're at work and you're seeing patients, a lot of that is, is structured. So how do you feel that that balances out with the rest of your life? Yeah, to be honest, like it's it's not that much structure in emergency room. Like you don't know. I mean, yes, there is a standard of care that I, I, I follow. Um, but beyond that, like every patient is different. I don't treat every patient as like, you know, standard, like, oh, this is a case, this is a case. Every patient is there for a reason. You're there to find out why they're there, you know? And that's, oh, that's another thing. Like in medicine, it's never about what is the problem, right? That's like the, that's like the surface level stuff, right? Mm -hmm. to, to, in my opinion, med good medicine is why are they there? Why are they in the emergency? Why is this the this is the, it's you know every Wednesday in the emergency room is the worst day of their life. Every day of my life at work is the worst day of, of their life. life. Yeah. Why are they in the emergency room? Yeah, anyone can go in for you know certain things for what and you can fix and go. But like why? If you answer the why question, you make sure they never come back to the emergency room unless they absolutely have to. Mm. Right. Um, you 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 make sure that you address their actual concerns. You make sure they're being seen. The what you're just focusing on the problem and not seeing them as a human being. So um, that's that 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 kind of thinking takes the structure out of the game book because everyone has different whys. You know the problems are all sam you know, similar, but you have to you know go with the flow and try to see what happens. And then in the big picture of, the, of a crazy emergency room, you're gonna have to to improvise like as a bartender in which order people are being seen and how to like you know tackle on different problems, how to you know do more with less. How to like you know try to hit you know kill three birds with one stone? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if anything, it's lack of service. But I think that does balance it out because that's, it's it's a different kind of chaos. Um, I do strive in chaos or do relish in chaos because I truly do believe a room is never clean unless it's messy. A room can only be perfectly organized when it's a mess, right? If it's kind of messy and it's kind of orderly, you're never going to have the motivation to actually clean it up. When you when you basically throw a grenade in there and it blows up and it's all you know messed up, that's when it's going to be the cleanest. When everything gets pulled back neatly, everything is like beautiful, and so I think that's the balance that I seek in my my structure. Like the structure can only happen through chaos, and so by embracing chaos, structure forms. All right, yeah, so just wrapping things up, you have, what, like 30 countries you haven't seen yet on your list? How many like, have left? 70-ish. 
Yeah. What's after that? You gonna go to like a different planet, or what's the what's the plan after? Uh, well, there's some really weird like far off um, countries that you know are or countries part of countries that yeah. you know are unrecognized, um, which I also am seeing now. Um, but unrecognized countries that have no statehood, or the UN doesn't recognize it, or in disputed territories, yeah. and then sometimes there are places I want to go back to and explore more of. You know, to just to see. Um, more of it to let it unravel. Maybe spend more time in a place, mm. find a favorite after all the ones I've been to, so that I can, you know, better uh, understand it and not feel like I missed out on anything. And then part of me feels like, you know, it's okay to take a break. Kind of like, kind of like Thanos at the end of Avengers. He just sits back and admires, you know, a, a rising sun, you know, sun, a sunrise. Yeah. Um. And it's and it's lays as a farmer. I know that I. I, I feel like when the, when I saw that scene, I was like, man, that's just, that's what I was going to feel like yeah. you know, after I've seen every country. I'm just going to probably sit back, hang up my armor for the time being and not have any expectations and then just take a deep sigh. Like, yeah. yeah. And then oh, I can't, I can't really answer that until I'm there. Yeah. Do another interview when I get there. And yeah. I'll, I'd be be better able to answer that question. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we'd love to have you again. Um, So, how can our listeners, you know, get involved with these trips? You want to talk a little bit about how they can they can find you online and things? Well, I'm pretty um, flexible and you know open to all types of forms of communication. You can email um, Facebook or smoke signals, pigeon carriers. I don't know. the best thing to do is uh, I respond the best by Facebook. Okay. Um, and uh, you can reach me on Facebook in my name, facebook.com slash Calvin D. Sun. So mm-hmm. Calvin is in Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin Klein. D is in Daniel, Sun, S U N. And uh, you can also just go directly to my website, uh, monsoondiaries.com, which right. is, you know, monsoon, like monsoon wedding, the force of nature and diaries as in motorcycle diaries that's how the name came out motorcycle diaries plus monsoon wedding i I was gonna go to i was heading to the south asia south so when i quit my job and traveled three months the last destination was india during monsoon season okay i thought that was it all right and so i decided to be like the uh monsoon like monsoon wedding like i I love the that was the way we were going to travel like a big force of you know peaceful rain not like a hurricane or typhoon that destroys stuff a peaceful rain um, that doesn't really flood because it's so brief. Like it comes in the middle of the day for like two seconds or two minutes and then disappears. Um, so it's more of like a joyful dance that you do in the monsoon than you would in like a typhoon or whatever. So I thought that yeah, you come in, you you cover all surface area with the like flooding like flood like rain, but then you disappear. Um, before it gets really, you know, unsustainable, um, yeah. and you cover a large surface area, and I combine that with the motorcycle diaries, which is the journey of, of you know, Che when he was a medical student, mm-hmm. and I was in you know, pre-med at the time, medical student at the time, doing this travel, just seeing where they would lead me. Um, I'm not going to say I'm becoming a revolutionary, but I guess I'm pretty liberal, and my work in social justice is kind of that same spectrum. So I combined monsoon di- diaries. I've created trips for people who've been on many trips of mine. I think I have, I'm doing this long weekend in Prague for $280 all inclusive, $280 all inclusive for yeah. a weekend in Prague during MLK, Martin Luther King weekend from January yeah. 17th to 20th, an optional extension to up Budapest. And I'm only doing that because there's this girl 
who's been on seven, eight countries with me the last year, like five different trips. Um, she had no very little money. She doesn't have much, you know, she's a student, didn't have a lot of time as a grad student and still went on those trips, made no excuses. It's that no flaking consistency mindset. I don't, never flake. Thank you so much on behalf of the Medicine Remix team, especially, I can definitely say, you know, your energy is, is infectious. And I, I know a lot of people listening are probably inspired to, you know, if not just traveling, just go out and do that thing that makes them uncomfortable and you know, become a better version, a more fulfilling version of themselves. So thanks for your time. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. Um, good luck on your oh, night Thank shift. you for having me. Yeah, yeah, thank no you. problem at all. And I definitely want to get that second uh, podcast interview once you're done traveling with the, the rest of the 70 countries, see where you're at. Sure, um, man. I'm always here if you need me. And thanks again for having me and finding yeah. me so quickly. I'm glad we made this work. Talk to you soon, Calvin. Thanks for everything. Take care. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? This is probably one of the hardest things to do, and that's ask for help. We need your help! On any front. Asking for help medically. I don't need therapy. Asking for help life-wise. Need help! Need help now! Asking for help supporting Medicine Remix. I guess it's all uncomfortable. Uh. No easy way to do it until now. The folks over at Anchor have decided to unveil something that we think is pretty dope. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called listener support. And the way it works is you go to anchor.fm slash medicine remixed, and it'll take you to our page. There's a support button, click on it, follow what it says, and bam, you have now donated the vital blood to this organism that it needs to keep on pumping. Thanks for listening. Medicine Remix.